Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode nine, Golf Strong Podcast. I am Dr. Jackson Taylor coming to you live from Jacksonville Beach, Florida. I guess we're not live, but whatever. You get the idea. We're joined live right as always. Now. Yeah, we're live. We're live now. Yeah. Uh, joined by Dr. Tim Rivoto. First, first things first. Can we talk about Mac Jones? Hey, man. Pretty effing good. Can we talk about Mac Jones? Of all the quarterbacks who had the best day. Oh, I'd say him. In best completion percentage for a rookie in his first game in NFL history. Ever. I know. And we were texting. I thought he was going to like 50%. You know, I would have been happy with that. He was what? Uh, 29 for 40? 29. 29 for 39? 29 for 39. 29 for 39, 280 <sighs> something yards. And efficient. He had a couple drops. He had one. He had a third down on an out that he under threw yep. a little bit still was catchable but that was really the only ball of the day that i was like that nah. like otherwise he just made good decisions the two fumbles were killers ramondre's yep. was not a fumble by the, the way. first one yeah the first one i don't know man that was Rem- ramondre's was not but they called it a fumble on the field so that was a killer damian harris's was certainly a fumble but yeah nonetheless to all of our people watch or listening who are not patriot fans sucks to suck because it it's going to be a feature now i'm sorry we're into the fall just is what it is Oh, absolutely. And we got Nelson Aguilar uh, right. catching balls. I forget. That's, that's a good That's a good YouTube video if no one's ever seen it when he was on the uh, the Eagles and they had no <laughs> receivers. We got <laughs> Aguilar. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's too to, much. I'll let you Eagles throw that a, one on the end. Yeah, Eagles had a good weekend. Atlanta sucked. Uh, they looked awful. The Packers. Green Bay good. sucked. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers sucked. Yeah, guess who's my fantasy quarterback? Mm-hmm. We won't talk I about that then. I had like I had like one point six points. He got me. Big game, big game. Absolutely brutal. Absolutely brutal. But I, I have I have faith in AA Ron. I need him to come back. Otherwise, I'm picking up Mac Jones. <laughs> yeah, hey, if he's free, throw him on the bench. Why not? He's, he's easy to cheer for because I've got yeah. Baker on my bench and Baker balled out. He he did. I just dropped him today because I need running backs. But uh, yeah, Baker did ball out, and I got a. Uh, Josh Allen, so I'm gonna ride the Allen train, but um, oh dude, I can't I can't pick people in conference. <laughs> it's like a dude, real so I, I can't pick Patriots and I haven't played in like five years. And I classic week one. No one cares who's on your fantasy team, right? But my bench would have won the game. I, it was week one and it was back to the, <laughs> the same old story. It was like, oh, I had Gronk on the bench and he had 25 points. I had this, I had uh, Jamar Chase on the bench because he couldn't see the fucking football and he went off. <laughs> like, Damn it. Yeah, Strikes that, that again. Tends, that tends to happen. I don't know if I had, I don't know how good my bench did. I hadn't actually looked. I got my ass kicked. Let's put same. it like that. Same. I lost by I five, got, 40 points. Oh yeah, yeah. I I did not I did not play well, not play well last week. But what are you gonna do? Okay, so what did I have? Yeah, Aaron Rodgers, one point three two points. Yeah, brutal. Kamara did well for me. Damian Harris actually was good for me as a whole. Uh, The fumble killed me. Devontae Adams was eh. Robert Woods was okay. Andrews did nothing for me. Melvin Gordon was clutch. By the way, it was a big pickup out of Denver when I snagged him. That's Uh, a great pickup. My bench do. Devontae Smith, 16.1. So unbelievable. Well, anyways, 
is what it is. Is what it is. Uh, Timothy, what are we discussing today? We're talking about speed, clubhead speed, to be to be specific. <laughs> not not the drug. Not the drug. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, but we're not talking about that today. <laughs> There's nothing better than the the gif of or the pictures <laughs> of Elmo. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for y'all who haven't seen that it's like it's just like this meme basically or people have turned it into a meme where like to the right is like a bunch of stuff and then on the left of him is like this giant pile of white powder. mound of white powder <laughs> and it's like if you look to the right it's like you know exercise eat well sleep at night testosterone supplementation and he just like shoves his face inside the crack uh it's too much too much it's a band too it's all high quality stuff uh how do we get on elmo speed. i don't know how i get speed there we go speed by the way eventually i'll give you my elmo impression Oh no! I don't know if I'm ready for it yet, but terrifying, (laughs) terror like not meant for children's ears because it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good, pretty good. I'm just gonna pull it out here at some point. Maybe I'll just do an entire podcast. Anyways, all right. So we're freaking rambling for five minutes here. Speed. Let's discuss speed. So we've talked a little bit about clubhead speed in the past, you know, things that influence it and what have you, but we're going to dive into it a little bit more today, chat a little bit about what clubhead speed is, talk about smash factor, um, some of the stats around clubhead speed, what we need to know. Also discuss the other factors in it, because as we've talked about on here before, you know, just swinging fast does not mean you are going to have better results. Or just because you're big and strong and powerful, even in the gym, doesn't mean you're going to be a whole lot better long run because there's other things at play. There's angles, swing pass, launch angles. We'll talk about spin a little bit today. Um, all that stuff matters. So we want to make sure that we discuss those in a way that is that is effective. So let's get a quick definition of club head speed, which though it sounds like something that's simple because it is it's and it is but marion webster's would describe it as the velocity at which the club head the golf club head impacts the ball so basically the golfing ball the golfing ball so how fast is the golfing club moving right before it hits the golfing ball and why do we care well how hard you swing the club is going to influence how far you hit the ball, right? Especially off the tee with driver, with three wood, or with with something like that, a uh, uh, fairway metal. Um, and it can do two things. It can help you get closer to the hole off the tee, right? So you're closer to the green and you have shorter approach shots. And then it also can help you on those approach shots, hit. you're hitting those irons longer. So you can hit uh, the higher number of clubs, right? So the more lofted clubs, which usually you have more control over. So it gives you a little bit more control and makes it a little bit easier for you to hit greens, uh, hit out of the rough and just get up and down in general. Correct. In a world where all things being equal, you're hitting the ball straight. Correct. Or you are at least, you're at least hitting fairways. Right. Then, you know, it's great if you can hit the ball far, but if you're hitting the ball far and it's slicing, 
it it is of no use to you at that point. So club head speed, yes, very simple. How fast that club head is moving at impact of the golf ball. So two things let's delineate quickly is club head speed and ball speed. Because a lot of times those are getting combined a little bit and they are they are not the same thing and they change how we look at distance. So a mile per hour of ball speed versus a mile per hour extra of club head speed produces different things. And we should we should know that. So in terms of ball speed versus club head speed, what is our big difference there? So ball speed is is measured after you make contact with the ball. So tell how, how fast the ball is moving after you after impact and it's giving us an idea of how cleanly you're hitting the ball, right? Because we're always looking at the percentage of how fast the club head's moving and then how fast the ball's moving. That's going to tell us, are you being efficient with your swing? Are you being effective with your swing? Or is there something along the line that uh, is in, is impacting distance, even though maybe because, you know, some sometimes people may have experienced this. You're swinging faster or you're swinging harder, but the ball's not going much further. That can be confusing and frustrating, but happens a lot. Call you a toe healer. <laughs> That's it. Remember the Healy shoes. That's who you are. You're the Healy shoes. The old Healy shoes. So those are important things to delineate. And so when we talk about club head speed and ball speed, so when we talk about distance, strictly distance, right? We're not talking about accuracy here. A mile per hour of ball speed is going to be about two extra yards distance, right? That's just ball speed. Whereas club head speed, an increase of a mile per hour could be three to four yards, right? We're going to see that being our difference. Now, again, other things play a role here. You know, what the weather is and again, little things such as that, you know, what part of the club you hit. But in terms of all things being the same, going to a testing facility, if your ball speed is up a mile per hour, you get about two yards and club head speed, three, four yards. So then that brings us to smash factor, which is quite simply your ball speed over your club head speed. And what do we want that to look like? Yeah, ideally we want it over one, right? So we want the ball to be moving faster after you hit the ball compared to how fast the club was moving before you hit the ball. So it's on. Right. It's a little confusing to say, but we want the ball moving faster than the club was moving prior. North of so, one. So north of one. And north of one. You know, you'll see most pros are living around 1.4 to 1.5. Yeah. Like 1.5 is kind of topping it out. You're not really going to see many people over that. Um, right. So that would be like if you swing the club 100 at 100 miles an hour, your ball speed is about 150 miles an hour. Which is not pretty unheard of it's fast i mean that's, that's like that's fast fast yeah people are usually swinging like 125 120 and getting a ball speed of about 150 yeah yep. so you know that's yep. a that's closer to like a 1.3 1.35 kind of smash factor so which is you know by the way great oh yeah we would love to get that in most athletes Love to get that in most half because we're not getting that for most of the people. Because it's no, I'd say most people are pretty close to one, right? If you're making clean contact with the ball, you're you're probably just over one. If you're hitting shots really fat, you're definitely under one because you're hitting the ground first, right? So some of the some of the turf, some of the ground that you're hitting with the club is 
slowing the club down before it hits the ball. And it's definitely slowing the ball down after, after you make impact. Yeah. And certainly if you're topping it as well, again, if you're not making mm-hmm. contact in the center of the face, you're going to lose speed. Yes. There's, there's no, there's no two ways around that. So that is obviously going to make a difference in distance amongst other things. So all things equal. Yes. We are always looking to increase club head speed, um, but other factors are kind of involved there, but you know, we kind of always hear, and I think we've talked in here before about the kind of drive for show putt for dough idea, which is really bunk at this point. Cause statistically speaking, the further you drive the ball, the lower your strokes or the more strokes gained and the more money you make, at least in the PGA tour level. But certainly from a strokes gained, the further you can hit the ball, the better that will be. Now there's a certain amount of distance you have to accomplish there, but that is something to, to talk about. I know, I think Tim, you had thrown it somewhere in the notes that a uh, number of tour players with a ball speed greater than 170 since 2009, 43 in 2009, and there's 99 in 2019. Yeah, that's basically a, almost double, basically doubled, over doubled. Yeah, over doubled in ten years. That's a pretty substantial difference. Now, do you think that a bigger part of that is because people are now seeing that the further you hit the ball, the more likely you are to be making money on tour or winning tournaments? Yeah, I think that that plays a role. You know, I think it it's similar to like in the NBA, a lot of people are practicing their three point shot because they're seeing a lot more guys take right. more threes and make them having success. So, you know, back in the day, you would see Jack Nicholas hitting the ball a mile. And even in Tiger's time, Tiger, Tiger hitting the ball a mile, other guys hitting it far, but he was pretty far past everyone else. Uh, <laughs> now you're just seeing him with Justin Thomas. Right. <laughs> um, but you're just seeing it happen more often for sure. Cause guys are, guys are seeing the improvement, you know, you can, Ping did some research where you, even a 15 handicapper, so, you know, an average golfer, right? I think most, most weekend golfers are probably right around 15. Yeah. If you, if you're hitting the ball three yards further, you can still hit the ball two yards left and right. So about four yards difference off of like your center line and you're still going to score better. So then you're talking to these pro players and they're hitting the ball much. They're hitting, you know, a lot of them, what a bracing gain this offseason, like 40 yards or 45 yards. Uh, something freaking stupid. It's like 10 or 12 miles an hour. Yeah. And, you still, speed. and yeah, you spray the ball a little bit, but I mean, if you spray the ball, excuse me, and you're hitting a wedge now versus a seven iron, I mean, that's a, that's a huge advantage. Right. Well, and when we talk about, you know, kind of that yardage range of where people sit, you know, even pros are somewhere in that like 40 yards disparity mm-hmm. or they could be anywhere in there. So we're not talking about people being able to like literally put it within four yards. Like people just Correct. aren't that good unless they're pros. Correct. We're saying that the average dispersion rate, I think, is like 40 to 50 yards for a pro. Yes. Right. And so we're talking an extra couple of yards outside of that. Correct. That you're putting the ball. So, you know, we're not talking about shooting BBs here. So we're basically saying that you can increase your distance. And have a little extra wiggle room on either end and play just as well with not putting it or being as accurate, quote unquote. Yeah. I mean, and you think about uh, hitting greens too, not just off the tee. Yeah. The average tour player when they hit a green is about 30, 30 feet from the hole. <laughs> so that's that's pretty far. If you had asked me, I would have said like 10 feet. 
I mean, 30 feet is quite a distance. Like that's two putt territory. So, you know, these guys are trying to hit, hit fairways and hit greens. That's, that's the name of the game. So if you can get further down the fairway and if you can use a lower club hitting into the green, that's, I mean, that's a gigantic advantage. Well, and right now, keep in mind too, that everyone listening to this, our three listeners are not tour pros. Correct. So the important thing to take away from all of this is that, you know, yes, we're using tour pro data because that's the place that we can pull the best data. We can see how far they're hitting the ball and then the end result. Obviously other things play into it in terms of how many putts you're having per round and what your approach shots look like. And it's great that you're driving the ball far, but in Bryson's example, like when he was at Kiowa, he was all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's things like that that affect it, but for your average golfer, you know, you're also probably not playing half the courses that these guys are playing. So you might have a little bit more open space. If you can add, you know, 10, 15, 20 yards, which is realistic over the course of a couple of years of training. Well, like 10, 15, 20 yards is several strokes off of your game, changing Absolutely. almost nothing else. Yeah. I mean, just the last for myself, just for the last year and a half, I've added 15 yards to almost all my clubs. Mm-hmm. And I took uh, two lessons this winter. So a little bit of it was technique where I was just using, I learned, I realized I wasn't using my lower body quite as much. It's also just getting stronger. I've changed, I've, I'm running less and lifting weights more, getting stronger, tweak the technique slightly. I mean, two years ago, I was hitting seven iron, one, 155, sometimes 160. Now that it's flying 180. I mean, that's, out. yeah, having a connection. Uh, south of the border helps, but <laughs> it's the hard it's the hard work, Jackson. It's the hard work. In the anybody gym. can get anybody can get over the border now with steroids. <laughs> Just handing those things out. <laughs> so let's uh, let's chat a little bit about how to improve club at speed. So we just talked a little bit about the quick statistics on it, and you can get in the weeds in that stuff and really, really get down to you know this many. You know, this additional miles per hour is going to yield you this many yards. But generally speaking, think of every time that club head speed goes up about a mile per hour, you're adding three or four yards. And if you're adding that distance, you're really not going to lose a lot in terms of accuracy. So how are we improving that? And let's let's take out technique and let's take out equipment, because when we talk about improving things, obviously you have to have optimized equipment. You have to have equipment that fits you. If you if you're an old man and you have the. (laughs) <laughs> stiffest shaft around it's, it's not gonna be pretty it's not gonna be pretty it's just turned into a viagra commercial <laughs> yeah so i mean if first as far as technique goes if you're a new golfer or if you're a high handicapper technique is probably where you're going to want to go first yeah because we see the best improvement in like in in smash factor ball speed by you making good centered contact. If you're like a single digit handicapper or a pro an amateur that plays tournaments, a good, a good player, or you've played for a long time and you've got that down, that's where we come in and really can make the biggest difference. Not to say that you can't, you can't make an improvement, but I'd say for the people that are like 20 handicapping up or even in the double digits, technique is going to be where you're going to want to focus the, the lion's share of your work here. Just making good centered contact, getting your swing in, into a consistent place where where you're making that good um, solid contact. 
And an important note about that that I will make, and I've had people ask me this before, they're like, well, if I am just getting strong or if I'm focusing on my technique, right, I should be devoting not a lot of time into the gym. That's not the truth. What we want is that you are still training because you still have to improve the trainable qualities of the golf swing. So we're not sacrificing one for the other, but you're going to gain more yardage just by hitting the ball well. But simultaneously, we're also getting you more powerful, stronger, making sure your mobility is where it needs to be. But when we start talking about lower handicappers, they're not worried about their technique. They have relatively good technique. And the ones that are really too worried about it end up having that big fluctuation of like they go from a single digit to mid-teens. And then like they have this crazy bounce back and forth because they're always changing their technique. The people that are really good that aren't, you know, your swing is your swing. Those are the people where we are really hammering their stuff in the gym, right? And so in terms of what those things look like, right? Because they look the same for both groups. We're just changing their volumes. You know, rate of force development is really big and strength. You know, the stronger you are, the more force you can produce. And then we're trying to make that happen quickly, which we've had our podcast in the past where we talked about strength and power and the difference between those things. But when we talk about rate of force development, we're talking about how quickly can I move an object? In our case, that is a club head, right? And we just talked about how increasing that's only going to help us. So we really want to find ways to get stronger and produce more power. Those are the two things that Jim can do and mobility to a point. Obviously, if you've got a little bit more range of motion from a rotation perspective, that helps. But you look at a guy like John Rahm, Mm-hmm. not even getting a full turn and he's got one of the higher club head speeds in golf. So there are other ways to produce force there that matter. Absolutely. And it's, as you said, it's all, it all goes together, right? So you're, you might go to a lesson and have your swing coach recommend a change, but your body isn't used to moving that way. Right. So you could get frustrated and try to do the drills and maybe do them poorly at home. Or you can get in the gym and do some exercises that might look different from the drill or from the swing, but that are helping you again build those trainable qualities and and just move move better in general. So that they 100% go hand in hand. And you know when we when we talk about strength, we not only want to be just just have strong legs, right? We want to have strong legs in the way that you use them in your golf swing. So specifically, that'd be that side to side movement, right? Because you'll you'll hear people when they miss hit a ball say, "Oh, I didn't. I was I was moving too much, or my head moved, or you know, I didn't keep my head down. I didn't keep my head still." You you really shouldn't. A golf swing's an athletic movement, right? So you you really have to shift your weight into your trail sides so with your right handed golfer. You're shifting your weight to the side onto your right side, and not over shifting. Right, having the strength and the ability to control your body weight and and shift a bit, and then shift the opposite way and do it quick. So it's really almost like a, a jump sideways, yeah. and you you can see that on guys like Justin Thomas, whose you know toes leave the ground a little bit, or Bubba Watson. Yeah. You know, you're you're really jumping sideways. So we can practice that, and you don't have to have a club in your hand. You can just practice doing that with your body weight. Or doing that, holding some kind of a weight, or wearing a weight vest—that's um, a really nice way to work on that rate of force development, that speed, 
um, and get used to moving quickly, moving aggressively, moving with intent. Right. And remember that we're not talking about it having to look like the golf swing, right? We've made this point before is that our exercises do not have to look like the golf swing. For instance, I don't need you to do what Tim just said, holding a medicine ball and then throwing that medicine ball as you do the movement, right? Because then you're doing two different motor patterns and trying to mimic the golf swing, which is going to affect you in the end. Our goal is the rate of force development, right? So whether that be a vertical jump, whether that be a med ball slam, whether that be for some people, we might have them doing like dumbbell snatches or, um, you know, one that I actually see often is a, and I've used with some clients of mine is like a trap bar jump where they actually jump as high as they can with like a really lowly or a lowly word of the day, lowly. I think that's a word, right? That's in the dictionary. It is. I just don't think it's used in the way that I just used it (laughs) with a light weight on there. And they're trying to vertically jump as high as they can. And then they can land with the trap bar on like pads. But any of those things are going to improve your rate of force development. Now, a key factor to all of this is you have to have a foundation to start producing that force. You know, we've talked about this before. The stronger you are, the more you can attenuate the forces of the golf swing because people do get caught in that. You know, I can make you more powerful, certainly. But do you have enough strength to handle that improve that increased speed? So we were just talking about those like handicappers that are a little higher, those 10 to 20 or more handicappers. My emphasis might just be more strength work with them. But as that handicap starts to come down or depending on the type of athlete they are. So for instance, if, you know, Tim came to me and he was like, Hey, I'm pretty new to golf and I just want to get better at stuff. But, you know, I've been involved in CrossFit or, you know, I've been a powerlifter or a bodybuilder, or I was, you know, I played soccer in college. If he tells me that like, he's a pretty athletic guy and he's done some of that training in the past, that might be more plyometric work, or it might be, he's, comfortable with cleaning and snatches or he's comfortable with just general stuff that's power related. I'm going to add that in earlier to his program versus my 60 year old guy who hasn't done anything rate of force development wise, never mind worked out in 15 years. I'm going to emphasize strength more with them and slowly add in components of power, especially as they get better at golf. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, I think it goes back to safety, right. And be just being smart with how you're training. If you're not, if you're not used to lifting things and putting them down, or you're not used to jumping, you're not used to running, adding a whole lot of that in right away, especially if you're, you know, especially if you're North of 50, I'd say, but even if you were, you know, in your thirties and you just haven't done anything since high school. Right. it's a recipe for disaster because you're just over, you're doing too much too soon. You're just overloading your body. And we want to make sure that your, your baseline is your body is strong at baseline first. And then that you can use that strength to move really quickly and really aggressively. It's, you know, it doesn't do you any good to just be, I mean, Chris sale is a good example of this. I'm a Red Sox fan. You're a Red Sox fan. Not, not the biggest, but he's like six, four, I think. 145 pounds. So he's just so skinny and so slight. And you see how, you know, how skinny his arms are. He's always injured. He throws the ball hundred miles an hour. He'll throw 120 pitches, but 
you know, I don't, and I don't know what he does for training in the off season, but I can tell you like, if he's throwing for three months, he's going to get injured, you know, right around August, end of July, and it's not going to be good. So you, you don't want to get there where you're, you haven't done anything. Then you start doing a lot and being really aggressive with it. And then you got to pause and take more time off. You want to be able to just steadily ramp up as boring as it may be at times. If it takes three weeks of doing the same exercises and just gradually increasing by five pounds or 10 pounds every week, that's what you got to do. You got to get, you know, you, you have to get stronger and get your body used to moving in certain ways before you can really start getting aggressive and fast with it. Right. Well, and remember too, that the stronger you are, the more your body will respond mm-hmm. to rate of force development training or power, you know, velocity training, right? The stronger you are, the better your body will be at producing faster forces. So it's, it behooves you to start with that anyways. So your program shouldn't look like you're just doing a bunch of like med ball slams and adding stuff that you're not even good at. Like little simple things can go a long way in terms of force development. They don't have to be these crazy big numbers. The other thing that we talk about too, when it comes to rate of force development is we have to remember ground force reaction or ground reaction force, right? Pushing into the ground. If I am stronger, I am able to push into the ground more than someone who isn't. If I can push more into the ground, I'm producing more force. And that is all strength, right? Or alternatively being heavy, but we advise against that. But the John Daly's of the world, that's kind of how that can be. He's a big dude. And the bigger he is, sometimes there's just extra force going into the ground. And then you do have to be able to control that, right? If you're going to as well. Right. Yeah. You might be able to move fast, get the speed up a little bit. Can their body handle all that, all that mass moving several times in a round? You know, that's that's where potentially you'd see an injury pop up if if the body isn't isn't prepared. So if you take some time off from golf for the winter, say. You get back in the spring and try to jump right in where you left off without doing anything. You know, you're you're you might be able to hit the ball 300, but I don't know. You might not be able to do it for the whole summer. So, yeah, how long can you do it for? And again, that's one of the other perks of you know when we talk about baseball versus golf too. In golf, you're only going to have what 15 drives. Mm-hmm. In a round, so there'll be only 15 times where you're swinging that fast, anyways. If you're going to the driving range and hitting 60 balls with your driver at max speed, that's a different story. The perk of golf, unlike baseball, we were talking about Chris Sale, he's throwing a pitch every 10 seconds, right? You know, a golfer, you're hitting a ball every three to five minutes, so you're getting a lot of time between, which is one of the benefits, I think, of the game of golf is that even though we are producing a lot of velocity, you're not doing it as frequently. Now, if you're playing six rounds a week, <laughs> that plays, that plays a role, you know, a pitcher pitches and Big he's time. done for five days. So that, that does play a role. Um, but when it comes to, again, like we just talked about recap it a little bit, club head speed in the strength world, we want to get you strong, especially first. So no matter what, we're going to make sure you're strong. And then we start working on rate of force development power work 
How fast can we move objects? Again, be that a dumbbell, be that jumping. And again, to Tim's point, that lateral ability to shift and transmit weight, lateral broad jumps, um, jumping. <laughs> if you guys did not or you do not follow Tim, had a great video today of a dude doing like a lateral jump with a ball and he just <laughs> eats shit. And it is fantastic. Yeah, that's uh, Dylan Fratelli. So he's on the PGA Tour, South African guy. He was doing yes. like a... He was doing like a 180 jump onto a box that was clearly way too high, uh, holding a medicine ball on his chest. It just he land he did not make it. He hit his ribs on a lower box. He almost hit his head on a treadmill. It was just it's a it was rower. A it was like a rower right there that he almost banged. Yes, right. That's it. A rower. Yeah, yeah. That's just so stupid. It's just uh, silly. I mean, and you, you can you can get the same effect by just practicing jumping. You don't have to throw two boxes next to each other and a medicine ball and be spinning in the air because it's With a gag ball extra. in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. And that's something that you guys listening to this need to take really big note of is that it doesn't have to be fancy. You don't need gimmicks. You don't need any of the BS that they sell you. It can be as simple as you squat, you hinge and you do like one form of force development. It might be with a medicine ball. Maybe you just do medicine ball slams and that's all you do for now. Now, obviously we want to provide variety, but that's all you do. You're going to have an improved amount of ability to produce power because you're just starting with something simple. And we always have to weigh risk reward. So we were just talking about Patelli. The risk of that is really high. And the reward is no different than if I was just doing vertical jumps. There's no difference. Like there's no data out there that says a 180 box jump with a medicine ball is better than a regular box jump. There's no, there's no science to support that. And so the risk is so much higher over here. Why would I do that? So it is vital that you understand that whenever you're doing something in the gym, just because you read it on golf digest, or you saw somebody do this cool thing, you know, not everybody should be doing a barbell snatch or a dumbbell snatch for power development because there's technique involved in those things. We have to be smart with that. So you specifically need power movements that are best for you. It's not a one size fits all model. Absolutely. And I think, you know, keeping it simple is, is the best, right? Yes. I, I do think you need some practice swinging faster if you want to, if you want to get your club speed up. Right. Yep. I think you do need some form of like super speed training, or even if you're just going in your backyard and swinging your driver as hard as you can, not hitting a ball. I think that does have some value, but again, risk reward. If you're not doing anything right now, the risk of going out in your backyard and swinging your driver as hard as you can 50 times in a row, just trying to swing faster is so high and the risk of just going to the gym a couple of times a week and doing some squats and some lunges and then some, you know, jumps, long jumps on the turf or uh, box jumps or med ball slams. The risk there is so low and the rewards about the same. Mm -hmm. So I'd, I'd rather more people get into the gym and do these simple things and then add in, definitely add in the fast swinging as well. But it's, again, it's a, it's a, where are you right now? What are your goals? What are you doing right now? What do you want to be doing in the future? It's all 
that's all going to dictate what exactly you're doing to increase your club head speed. Never mind injury reduction or injury mm-hmm. mitigation, right? If you just go out in the backyard and swing really hard and that's your idea of force development, that's not helping you at all in terms of mitigating injury because you're not producing strength to handle that force, right? So just going to the gym, yes, our goal there is that your club head speed increases, but you're also getting a plethora of other perks beyond just heart health, muscle integrity, bone strength, et cetera, mitigating injury. Those are important things that are also in addition to the fact that your club head speed is going to go up. But just going out back and swinging really fast, sure, your club head speed might go up, but can you handle that for the long term? And you're not helping your body in every other way. So, um, and Tim already alluded to this, which is key for people to understand. This stuff does matter based on the skill of the golfer. We need to, we need to emphasize that if you are a skilled golfer, you're going to see more benefit in clubhead speed. If you are improving that strength and power and swinging fast because their mechanics are just better, right? You're less skilled golfer. You just have to be able to be more skilled with hitting the ball, making good contact. And maybe that's something as simple as going to your pro and they spray the face and you just see where you're making contact, right? And you go, okay, I'm hitting a little bit too much off the heel or I'm a little bit too much off the toe or I'm topping everything. Just by fixing that, your distance improves. And then while that's happening, we're getting you stronger and stronger. And then as your handicap starts to drop, you start becoming a little bit better of a golfer. You're hitting that ball with better contact. Now you get to reap some of those big repercussions or you get to reap the benefits, excuse me, of strength and power training. Absolutely. And Tiger always says his dad taught him, number one, make contact in the center of the face. doesn't matter how you get there, how you swing, what you do, make contact with the center of the face. Yep. And then everything else around that can only make that better. Right. Now, I guess we should probably briefly touch also on the other factors that, that play a role here. Like, for instance, loft angle and what that means. So – you know, what does that look like? So why does loft matter when it comes to these things? Yeah, so all, all of these really are interrelated, right? So they have yeah. certifications. You can learn as much as you want to about this stuff. But when it comes down to it, loft is going to help the ball get up in the air, right? If you have more loft, when you make contact with the ball, you, the ball is going to have more of a trampoline effect up at slower swing speeds. Right. Right. So it's going to launch the ball a little bit higher than it would at a, with a lower loft. Um, You're going to have a little more spin, which can get the, again, get the ball higher in the air. So if you swing really hard and already hit the ball pretty far, you don't really want more spin. More spin is more drag on the ball. It's going to go higher. It's going to land softer and not roll out as far. But if you're the 65-year-old guy that's looking for 10 more yards any way you can get it, that that could potentially help. Wouldn't hurt. Wouldn't hurt, right? It, would, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't completely hurt. But those are important things to understand is there are other th- – loft being one, club length. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons why Bryson has fiddled with this and has been trying to get a longer club. Longer club is a longer lever. Mm-hmm physics plays into our hands, you're going to hit the ball further because it's a longer lever. 
right? It's it's just one of the reasons that that is a big. That's why you're seeing these guys take these big sweeping pulls. It's a longer yeah. lever. If you kept your arms in here, you know, it's like I'm doing like the cabbage patch or something. Like that's <laughs> or I'm, uh, too much. But uh, that's going to make a big difference, right? The longer that can be, the the more you can produce there. So it's important yeah. to understand all of those. You know, they make a difference. You know, spin matters, loft angle matters, attack angle matters. You know, you talk about people having negative and positive attack angles. Which what would you what would you tell the people about that, Tim? Well, it, it depends on the club you're using, right? So if you're if we're talking driver, we want a positive attack angle. We want to hit up on the ball essentially, launch it out there. It's going to be lower spin. It's going to be the club mm -hmm. is moving in the direction that the ball is going to go off the club face. So you're going to get more of that launch and trampoline effect. If you're coming in negative, that means you're you're swinging down on the ball, which is awesome for irons. That's exactly what we want for irons, because um, you're you're essentially just trapping the ball against the ground, and then the the loft of the club and the grooves are putting spin on the ball, getting it up in the air. But with the driver, that's going to create uh, more spin, more loft, get the ball going higher. So it's it's just less ideal. You know, if you're really if you're trying to maximize control and you don't care about angle, then or uh, distance, then attack angle might not be something to play around with. But um, again, don't I wouldn't go on your own, book a trackman session and look at your numbers and then try to change things by going to YouTube. I would try to change something like your swing path or your attack angle uh, by going and getting a lesson because they're going to be able to look at the numbers with you look at how you're moving and then give you suggestions on technique based on that. Um, so it, it, those factors are important. Length is important too, as you mentioned, but flip side, you have to control a longer shaft. Correct. Right. You got to be stronger and have more control over that longer club. So it's a give and a take. Yeah, there's, pro, there's pros and cons to it. And uh, I'll add a psychological factor in here too. Mm -hmm. Paralysis by analysis is also a big issue for people in the world of golf today. You know, you've got the Bryson's of the world who have come out and they're looking at all of these things, their attack angles, loft, spin rate, temperatures. It's almost like a sniper who's got like the Earth's axis on his mind when he's shooting from 2,000 yards. Like we're thinking about all of these factors. Sometimes that can be counterproductive for certain people, for certain personalities. You know, I've had some people that are just not analytical like that. They just want, okay, what are the things that will help me hit the ball further? Well, these are the basic things right here. Okay, awesome. I'm just going to go do those. Because when you start talking to them about, oh, you know what? On that last one, my attack angle was just a little bit little bit too negative, and I've got to increase that by this degree. But that's all they're thinking about. And what that does is we know in athletics, if you're thinking about those things, you're not being smooth. And as we always say, smooth is fast and fast is smooth whether it's shooting a rifle or it's playing golf. Uh, no different than shooting a basketball. Like Steph Curry is not thinking about the launch angle of his hand as the ball comes off his fingertips. He's just letting it go. Golfers have to have that. And I think we've, we've almost created some of that paralysis by analysis in golf because we've got people thinking about all of these things. Is, you know, where are my angles and where am I hitting it? And there's certain things there helpful. I would always start with people just – start hitting it in the middle of the face, start there. Right. And then we can start playing around with other stuff. If you want to, right. You don't necessarily need to, 
you might be able to improve your game without having to mess with it, especially if it's going to screw you up. If you're one of those people who's like always so nervous about like little things like that, although they can be important and guys like Bryson are thinking about it. You've also got other guys who had none of those things way back when, and they played great golf, right? So they're helpful, but we also don't want them to harm your game. hundred percent. And you just reminded me of something I saw last week. Uh, um, John Tillery, who's one of the leading kind of swing coaches, he's Kevin Kisner's coach. Um, who I can't remember anyone else off the top of my head, but Kevin Kisner's is big, uh, big guy. He was showing a guy had a putt basically who just was smashing putts, couldn't couldn't get speed down at all. And he just said, "Listen, if I told you to throw the ball into the cup, could you do it? You would just you just throw it, right?" Like you wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't think like I have to take my hand back six inches and then only follow through two inches and keep my shoulder down, but also, you know, uh, keep my chin out. You just throw the ball. It's the same thing with any golf shot. Like if, if I told you to throw a golf ball 10 feet and hit this bucket, you could probably get pretty close. Right. It's the same thing. You're just, you know, it's just a little more complicated because the ball is not in your hand, right? You've got a club in your hand. It's a little bit long and, and you're swinging it through a little bit more range of motion, but it's the same thing. It's just, um, you know, it's just trusting that if I take it back this far, if I swing that, you know, this hard, that's where the ball is going to go. Uh-huh. And that's where, that's you know, we'll, we'll do a podcast on, on practice here in the, in the near future, but that's where practice comes in. And just being, having intentions with your practice, trusting your swing, trusting your clubs, you know, trusting the decision you just made and boom, better golf opens up in front of you. It does. It does. And and in the golf world, that's something that we, we see a lot of. And I think the psychology around that's very interesting because other sports, I mean, a lot of people, especially if they played baseball, they compare it when you're pitching and you're aiming, they always say, don't aim don't aim when you pitch because if you're aiming, you're going to miss, but they always say, well, aim small, miss small. Right. But when they say aim small, miss small, they're not saying you're solely focused and you're becoming rigid, right? If you have a rigid golf swing and your hands are gripping, everything is off. It's got to be, this is where I want to hit the ball. It's where I'm aiming for sure. And now my body is just producing the movement, right? If I'm going to shoot a basketball, sure. I'm aiming at, you know, say the, backside of the rim, but I'm not thinking to myself, like I have to bullet the ball there. I'm just, okay, that's my spot. Pick and shoot. Right. It's, it's instinctual. I mean, like for baseball players that are swinging a baseball bat, like they have what 0.03 seconds to make a decision if they're going to swing or not. Right. They're not thinking to themselves, well, if my attack angle is a little bit further down on this, or if I try to hit up on this, you know, they're just thinking, okay, right now we've got a runner on third. There's two outs. If I can get the ball opposite field right now, perfect. That's it. There's not, there's not, there's no physics beyond that. It's just, okay, if I get a good pitch, especially if it's on the outside, I'm going to try and take this opposite field. Perfect. In golf, it could be, okay, I've got a breeze right to left. You know, I really like maybe a little bit of a draw here and I'd like to put it on the outside to the right there. And now I'm just going to produce that swing. Right. And that takes time to develop, obviously, because you've got to learn where your club face should be and the position that you want it in. But golf has to adopt that mentality more specifically in the amateur world of 
you have to get good at that shot. And that takes time and practice. And again, like Tim said, we'll talk about practice a little bit more later on. Um, but all of that is, is really important because we get in our heads a lot about angles and foot positions. And yeah. remember, no pro golfer or amateur golfer looks the same when they swing a golf club. DJ does not look like Rom, does not look like Kepka, does not look like JT, certainly doesn't look like some of the guys like Wolfie who have these crazy swings yeah. or like all of those people have different swings. Jim Furyk, like they have their version and it works and all of them can hit the center of the club. So there's a lot of ways to get there. We just need to get good at it and it needs to become unconscious. That's it. Question before we wrap up. You started golf later on in life, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like super. I played everything but golf. Okay. So do you remember when you first, I don't know, how, how, when did you first, did you go to the driving range? Did you just go to the course? What, how did you start? Uh, I think the first time, like I remember being a kid and like my dad went and I just like grabbed a club mm -hmm. and just like hit a ball um, or a few of them. But that was really it. Otherwise, um, about second, third year of grad school, uh, we just went and played. Did you have any of the feeling of like, I'm an athlete. Why can't I do this? Oh, a hundred frustrating thing in my life. Yeah. Did anyone show you video? Anyone show you video at that time? Of myself? Yeah. Oh, no, no. I mean, okay. like we had, we had like haha -ha videos of me trying yeah, yeah. to swing and just missing it's like completely yeah. whiffing um yeah we had some of those hopefully they're deleted now but yeah <laughs> we had those I, I asked because i so i used to teach tennis and a big thing i would have like high school kids come in and i knew i like knew their older brother or something and i knew they were good athletes they played lacrosse they played baseball whatever and i knew they were good athletes right and then you put a tennis racket in their hand and they look like such a stiff like their arm is totally straight. They're like squeezing the hell out of the club. They look nervous. And I feel like the same thing happens with golf where you get a club in your hands and the ball is sitting still there and you're like, oh man, what, like, what do I do? Grip, trying to grip it and rip it basically. But that's the yeah. counterintuitive to what you'd think. Yeah. How would you, like you said, how would you hit a baseball? How would you throw a football? You just throw it. Yeah. Like just swing the club. Don't you don't have to be stiff. There aren't rules on how you swing swing the club. You just yeah. need to be smooth and then smooth as fast. Smooth as fast and fast as smooth. Ain't no doubt yeah. about that. Yeah, that's that is a true statement though. I mean, I can still I mean, even recently, uh, I had a lesson and the guy was just like, chill your hands out, bro. Because you can yeah. see on my clubs where my thumb has like rubbed off <laughs> yeah, yeah, my yeah. grip. Because I just I I grip it too hard. And so being able to be loose with that, um, you know, it's amazing what that'll do as a whole for your swing. Um, but definitely as somebody who, especially because for me, I also picked up golf, although it's been easier to pick up. Um, I also picked it up after I did competitive weightlifting and powerlifting hmm. where I am gripping right. really, really hard on the barbell. And so maybe that played a role a little bit in that, that over gripping that I'd still struggle with at times. Um, Cause it's a hard thing to learn in that way, but just like any other motor pattern, you know, even though I'm doing that deadlift, you know, I'm not, 
I don't want to say rigid because I am rigid because I'm pulling heavy ass weight off the ground, but it is still smooth. Yeah. Like there's not like I'm not tensing in weird places and creating because when that happens, especially if you're thinking about like benching, like your technique really does matter. If I'm Mm -hmm. two centimeters, three centimeters in the wrong direction, my bar path's all screwed up and I'm getting away from myself too much or I'm getting too close back. Like that all plays a role. Back squatting, same thing. If I go to stand and my ass kicks out too much and that bar starts to come forward, a lot of things are messed up. And that happens a lot when you're getting nervous or when you're you're not doing things the way you normally would. And so all sports, you have to be smooth and controlled. And we talked about that when we watched the videos of the guys that were the uh, doing the javelin or the discus, excuse me. Violent, but smooth. Just yeah. very, very smooth. That's what it comes down to. Smooth. So. Excellent. Anyways, I think that, I think that covers all of our bases. That's all I got. Yeah. I mean, so we can, you know, we can work on technique, go see a coach for that. We can work on strength and just getting you better at moving your body and also get your body stronger in moving that way. We can get you working on power, get just work on moving faster. And that will all translate to your golf swing. And then if you're, if you've got that baseline, I would say, then I would start to add in some focused speed swing training. That's a small portion of your workload during the week. It's only probably three days at the most, you know, maybe five to seven, eight sets. That's yeah. That's about sets maybe total. That's about it. So it's it's a small portion, but you can add that in. If you've checked your, I, I would say, if you have checked your boxes as far as strength and baseline exercise, feel free to add that in. If you haven't, get in the gym and check those boxes. Amen. May it, may it, may it be. May it be. Cool. Well, as always, you can follow us. You should follow us. On the socials, Tim at T-R-I-V-O-T-T-O, Trivoto.golf. I am at Jackson.AnchorForge. Keep in mind, too, we've also got some seminars that we're going to be doing here pretty quick. Mm. Timmy and Timmy Trumpet over here and I. You're not Timmy Trumpet. Don't get mad Timmy <laughs> Trumpet if you find it. He's not going to watch this anyways. We're fine. Uh, Tim and I are going to be doing a little bit of heading to some golf courses, talking a little bit of shop, talking about strength power. If you guys have uh, a golf course you know that would benefit from – some conversations about what to do, how to lift. There'd be a component there where we're actually a practical component where we're showing you how to do the movements, showing you how to do the workouts. Um, if you have a course that you know that would be open to that, shoot us a, uh, shoot us a message, shoot us a DM or email us golfstrongproject at gmail.com. And uh, we can talk about that. We've also got some super cool podcast guests coming up in the next few weeks, which we're stoked to present to you guys. I'm not going to tell you who they are because... No, oh, build the tension. Build the tension. Our six listeners. <laughs> build I think it's more than six. I saw more than six. There's, there's. Yeah, I think we're in double digits now. We're getting up there. Yeah. yeah. Episode nine, double digits. Let's go. Thank you, Mom. Also, world, tell you something. <laughs> Friday, we go to dinner and we're sitting down, and our friends come to meet us, and they bring this little puppy along with them and uh apparently 
this little puppy was picked up like three or four weeks ago from a shelter in the middle of Florida. Mom died like three days after she gave birth to this litter of nine. Ugh. Apparently there was multiple dads involved here. But uh, so they show up with this little this little bundle of joy with the full knowledge that I am a complete pushover. And so they they give him to us. I get him in my arms and he's like falling asleep on me. And he's just the cutest dog in the world. And so my girlfriend, Christy, and I are sitting there. I'm like, I don't know if we, we can't do a dog right now. And they're like, hey, just take him home for the night. Famous last words. Just take him home for the night and it'll it'll all be good. And I'm like, ah, shit. So we take him home. Naturally, homeboy sleeps right through the night. Never wakes up. No issues. Right? Of course. Sucker. Of course. Of course he's got to be a perfect dog, right? Yeah. So the next day we take him out. We went to a campground. He was hanging out with other dogs. He was sleeping. No issues. Right? Great. Sunday, we took him to a brewery. He saw his first Pats game. Like, man, this dog's, dog's pretty awesome. Well, it's Tuesday now. We are the proud owners of a new puppy, Brewski Taylor, in honor of Teddy Brewski, my man, yeah. and yeah. deer and all that stuff, but definitely Teddy Brewski. The jersey's on its way. Yes. Um, you know, Teddy, if you're watching this, I got you, baby. We love you. So Brewski is our new, our new puppy. Um, however, can I talk about how much sleep I've gotten in the last 48 hours? Yeah, please do. About an hour. Whoa. Last night, went to bed at 10. Homeboy woke up at 11.05. He then proceeded to wake up at 2.30, 3.30, and 5 o'clock. Oh. Every time he had to pee. Oh. Every time. What, does he get the smallest bladder in the world? He's tiny little dog bladder? Tiny little dog bladder. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And he pee. uh, The problem, it'd be different if he was just whining for no reason. He's whining and then peeing. So he has to go. Yeah. He didn't drink water after 7 o'clock. (laughs) <laughs> he took a giant deuce at 3 30 this morning <laughs> i walked him out there and he's like walking around and he like perches up and i'm like dude you just dropped a six foot snake out of your butt <laughs> he's like 10 and a half pounds so for anybody who's not seen this puppy uh, i don't even know if he's up on my stories i'll have to put a post up of my little man he's a we think he's like a lab mountain cur maybe a mastiff mix He's got big old paws. He's brindle. He's the cutest dog in the world. He is pretty but, cute. And I am not a uh, dog person, but he is a uh, he is a cutie. He's a cute dog. My other one's sitting next to me right now. The little one's been like pinching at his ears, like nibbling at him. Like he picked up his tail in his mouth and just like walks side to side. <laughs> Murphy's Murphy's just sitting there like little bastard. He got after him yesterday, though. A little man like bit his lip and Murphy was like, what? Smacked yeah, his ass. And it seems like, his little eye was like shut. I was like, did you just hurt him? And Christy's like, he's, uh, I think he's okay. Yeah. Having a veterinarian in the family helps immensely. It definitely helps. As long as there's no uh, blood, right? You're probably fine. No blood. Don't. Well, and you know, as, as we've learned in this dog training world, like negative feedback to the dog is unhelpful, like smacking them or closing their mouth. And that stuff's not helpful. It doesn't actually help them learn anything. Um, but when Murphy does it, it he learns pretty damn quick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he snarls and those big old canines come out and he's like, eh, you know, I'm not going to mess with him. But in, you know, a year or so here when he's full grown, he's going to be bigger. <laughs> so, you might have a war on your hands. Nah, they're pretty good. Right, Murphy? They'll be, bud. They'll be best buds by then. He's actually been a really good pup. 
He's been a good boy. He's handled having a new brother out of completely left field pretty well. So that's our puppy story. Maybe we'll post a picture of him at the end of this because he, he is super cute. He's super cute. Super I got that boy. Christy and I have him sitting, giving us his paw. He's mostly crate trained. Today he was Damn. in a crate all day with her at work, and apparently he did great. So I am I am all over that. So I'm going to keep reading all this dog training book stuff because – Keep it going. I don't know what I'm doing. You need your sleep, my friend. You need your sleep. Oh yeah, I'm I'm praying tonight is sleep night, but I I got no faith. I'll be all right. We'll be done with this podcast. He'll get home. We're gonna go work out. There you go. It's all good. And then it's Taco Tuesday. Hey, that's something to live for, right there. That's something mm, to live for. Live mass. Excellent. As the as the Taco Billions would say. Excellent. Well, I've right, got a tournament. We're done. I've got a ten- tournament Thursday, and it's in Halifax, Massachusetts. So I had a fun conversation this morning with a couple of guys in the uh, gym who are hockey players. They were like, oh, going up to Nova Scotia, huh, to play golf? I was like, nah, just, just the South Shore of Massachusetts. Not not as exciting, but. Are they Canadians? No, they just they played hockey at UMaine, so they're just, they're used to going up there for hockey tournaments and stuff like that, but. They just aren't I, educated on the cities of. Well, I didn't know there was a Halifax mess either. So really, I'm ignorant as well. Look at you guys. I did go to a football camp. I went to Peyton Manning's football camp in high school. It was in Louisiana. And uh, by the way, hot as balls. Yeah, Hottest I've that. ever been in my life. Dead of the summer. We were, where was that camp? Was it Nickel State College? Um, it's actually quite fun. I got to play pass with Peyton and Eli. It was, it was an enjoyable, enjoyable little thing, except for the fact that it was hundred degrees. But anyways, <laughs> I was talking to a couple of the guys there and I said I was from Maine and they thought that was Canada. Well, I mean, like, they're like, Oh, is, is that, is, is that, is that in Canada? <laughs> and I'm like, do you ever learn the 50 States? Yeah. <laughs> a part of me wanted to be like, can, can you name five of the States? And let's was, just Maine Maine was not an original colony, right? But it's pretty pretty soon after. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think so. Maine used to be a part of Massachusetts, I think, but then it pretty pretty quickly it went on its own. So it is yeah, one it, of the originals, I I'd say. It's a giant state. <laughs> yeah. Top to bottom, it's a massive state, but everyone lives in the southern part of the state. It's like three quarters of the population is like halfway up the state and down. Yeah. 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 It's a it's a special it's a special place. Special people. Cold as hell in the wintertime. I'm looking at palm trees out my window right now, so it's fine. It's all good. Golf season's coming to an end up there, playa. Fall golf, fall golf. Don't rush me. Don't rush me. Got plenty of time. Plenty of time. Godspeed. All right, people. We're done ranting. Love you all. Subscribe. Get the notifications. Follow us. That's That's it. it. Peace. We'll holler holler at y'all later.